Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. This flu season has been especially hard on children. Recently, data from the Center of Disease Control and Prevention showed over 50 children have already died because of flu. What are the symptoms, and what can you do to protect your child? My guest is Dr. Sharon Knackman, Chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stony Brook's Children's Hospital. She will answer those and other questions this morning. So as always, we suggest you are prepared to take down some valuable information you hear on the show, and we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your Sunday, whether you're just coming in or preparing to go out for an early breakfast or sunrise service at your house of worship. We'll talk flu and its effect on kids when New York Sports and Beyond returns on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond. I'm Larry Hardesty. Dr. Sharon Nachman is recognized as an international leader in the area of pediatric infectious diseases and the treatment of children with HIV, TB, and preventable infectious diseases such as flu and measles. She has been the principal investigator of more than 30 clinical trials of promising medicines for patients treated at Stony Brook Hospital and at international settings. These include investigations in areas such as new vaccines like Lyme disease, TB, and HIV. Join me in welcoming Dr. Sharon Nachman, Chief of Division of Pediatric and Infectious Diseases at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. Hi, doctor. How are you? Fine. Thank you for interviewing me today. Well, doctor, it's a pleasure. We got a serious uh, epidemic on our hands here, so let's get started. Obviously, flu seasons and vaccines are always a hot topic, but this year it's early in the flu season, but it's season it seems as though it's taking deadly aim at our kids. So you're absolutely correct. This flu season had hit, has hit us hard and early. Usually we see flu coming around January, February, but if you've been talking to any of your friends, you know that children all across New York and all across the United States are coming down with flu, and they've been getting sick since after Thanksgiving. So this flu season, we've had an extra six or so weeks of seeing the flu epidemic hitting our children. And, Doctor, the last count that we have, we're talking about over 50 children have been killed by the flu uh, epidemic so far? That's correct. Over 50 children have died from getting flu. And unfortunately, as you can guess, some of those children could not get the flu vaccine and thus were at risk. And some children did not get the flu vaccine, even though they were targeted to get it. And they were also at risk and unfortunately died from their illness. All right, doctor, that's that's a major statement. So the simple question is, why, if they were eligible for it, that they didn't get it? I think there's multiple reasons as to why people don't get themselves vaccinated or their families vaccinated. Oftentimes, people think, oh, it's just another viral illness. I didn't get the flu last year. I'll be fine this year. And unfortunately, that's a Russian roulette kind of question, and you can get the flu any year, even if you didn't have it a year before. As well, we are concerned with parents thinking that the flu vaccine has so many side effects that they don't want their children to get it. When, in fact, good, strong data from giving the vaccine to children in the United States does not support those reported side effects. As you know, the flu vaccine is not a live vaccine. So thinking you're going to get the illness from vaccine just doesn't happen. Might you have some fever? Might you have some pain in your arm? Yes, of course. We see that in pretty much every vaccine. 
but that does not translate to you got the illness from this vaccine. All right, doctor, let's try to educate our, our audience now. Let's begin with some of the basics. Now, obviously, there's different types of vaccines uh, that do different things. So what are the differences and how many different vaccines are there that you could sign your kids up to get to keep from getting the flu? So the answer is, with regard to the flu, there are currently two licensed vaccines in the United States. One of them is an injection. And as you know, when you get an injection of the flu vaccine, it's not live. It's killed. You will not get the flu from it. You may have a little side effects of pain at the site or maybe even some fever, but you're not going to get the flu. The other vaccine that's licensed in children is a live vaccine, and it's a spray that goes on a, up a child's nose. That is a live vaccine. However, it's been proven to be safe and effective in children, and it may give them a little bit of a runny nose or a little bit of a sore throat, but it also does not translate into kids getting full bone flu. Neither of those vaccines can give you that illness. Unfortunately, who's getting the vaccine are the same children who are going to school where some of their friends may be coming to class with the flu and giving them that illness. So if you think that you're not going to see the flu virus in your environment, in school, when you go grocery shopping or at the mall, you're seeing it every place all the time. And if one of those times happens when you're getting the vaccine, well, the vaccine is just happening a bit too late. You've already got the illness. Doctor, is there a reason why one child should get a spray and another child should get the injection is, is what, what, what determines which one is best? So the answer is sometimes it depends on the child's background. Do they really scream and yell and hate injections and prefer to get the live vaccine on, in their nose? And sometimes it depends on what their doctor has and the ease of administration. And sometimes it just may be personal preference. There may be some children that we can't give a live vaccine to because they're on other medications, but they can get the killed or injectable vaccine. So there's a lot of factors involved. However, if you're getting the killed or injectable vaccine, it is safe and it is oftentimes effective. Remember, the vaccine doesn't contain just one type of killed virus. It contains four types. This is called a quadrivalent vaccine because we always like to hedge our bets and we recognize that there's unfortunately more than one flu virus circulating at any given time. Mm -hmm. So this year we're seeing at least two types predominant. We're seeing a flu B strain that's not exactly a close match to the one in the vaccine, so it's only about 58% protective. And we're seeing a specific type of an A strain called H3N2 that the vaccine doesn't really have a good match for. So even though you've got the vaccine and you catch that virus, you will be sick. But some protection is always better than no protection, as we've learned with our children. Yeah, no question about that. You're listening to Dr. Sharon Nachman. She's Chief of Division of Pediatric and Infectious Diseases at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. I'm Larry Hardesty. This is New York Sports and Beyond here on 9870 ESPN. Doctor, what are the symptoms? How can we tell the, the early symptoms and how can we tell if they've advanced? So, unfortunately, flu virus is just like any other respiratory virus. First, you get the sniffles, maybe of a sore throat. 
Maybe you have some fever. And with some children, that's all the symptoms they'll have. In others, they'll go on to get respiratory distress, pneumonia, and wind up in the hospital. And even a small subset of those children will have the flu virus targeting their brain and wind up with inflammation around their brain. We can't predict which child will have the small little virus infection, who's going to have the pneumonia, or who's going to get the worst outcomes of flu infection, but we know that all of them are possible. I wish we had a way of predicting it. We don't know. And that's why we recommend you have to prevent all the types of infection, and that's why we'd like you to vaccinate. Now, Dr. Nachman, I was reading in preparation for you, and I noticed that there was an article in USA Today about a young lady who uh, survived the flu but ended up with brain damage that left her at least temporarily blind. So this is really, I I think, just paraphrasing, you of course can clarify for me, I think this is what you're talking about in the fact that the longer you delay, and that's with anything, with with anything, with doctors, um, uh, medicines, you have to go early, okay? And even though there's still time, we'll get to that in a second, but if you haven't, you know, it changes the situation and how effective the vaccine is going to work on the flu, no? It's not how effective the vaccine is going to work on the flu. It's how much time you missed on preventing it. Every day that you're saying, I'll put it off, I'll get the vaccine tomorrow or next week, allows you to be exposed to everyone in your environment. And if you ride the subways or stand at any kind of mall, you could hear people sneezing and coughing. Mm. Too many of those have flu and you're getting in contact with them, sneezing and coughing near you or around you, or even touching door handles where they've touched their face and touched the door handle. So your risk of exposure increases every single day during flu season. So the more you wait to get your vaccine, it's not that it's not going to be effective, but you miss the opportunity to prevent. Now, Doctor, what are some of the side effects? Because I know, as you mentioned, uh, that's what parents are afraid of. And listen, you watch these uh, various, uh, you know, commercials on TV for various prescriptions of things, and the side effects are pretty scary. So what are the side effects for for the spray and for the injection of, of the flu vaccine? So the nasal spray, as I've said, oftentimes gives kids a little bit of a runny nose and sometimes a sore throat. We've had occasional kids have some low-grade fevers, but nothing that prevented them from going back to school. For the kids who get the injection, we've heard some kids getting pain at the injection site, but let me remind you, anytime you fall off your bike, you'll have pain at your knees also. If you're going to play baseball and catch a ball, your hands will hurt too. So the kind of pain that they're having on their arm is not stopping them from going back to play sports or going to school. And that's pretty much it. We have not seen children have the significant illnesses people worry about that they say they got from the vaccine. Oftentimes, they can come down with flu, but that may be related to where they're working or sitting around in a doctor's office or a clinic where people are coughing on them or even going to the movies or a closed room where the virus is circulating in the air because everybody's coughing around them. So it's not the vaccine causing them sick. It's who they're hanging out with that may have given them the infection. The other thing I want to remind people is that the flu virus is just one of the circulating viruses we have every season and every winter. So while you may get protection from the flu from your vaccine, that doesn't mean you can't get another virus. 
And if you think about it, everybody's walking around with sore throats. It's not all flu. It could be many other viruses. And expecting the vaccine to prevent other infections isn't going to work. You're right about that, doctor. You mentioned earlier about influenza B, and I noticed that that's returned. Is there a, has there been a, is there a reason why it has returned and the strength seems to be uh, more dangerous than it was in the past? The answer is I wish we knew what makes some viruses recirculate and some not, and we mm-hmm. really don't understand it. But we do know that at any given flu season, several types circulate at any given time. Because people are always traveling and coming into contact with people or seeing other people, there's a mishmash of viruses that are out there. It's not realistic for us to think that the one vaccine that we have now, containing four serotypes, will protect against all the circulating strains. On the other hand, ask me what's coming down the future, and the answer is our hope is that universal flu vaccines will be the next hot item that move out into public use. If we had one vaccine that prevented all the types of circulating flu, we'd all be much happier. We're just not there yet. Yeah, I understand what you mean. In in the research, doctor, are there similarities in the various different types of flu that you and, and your colleagues are researching that you could see that would one day, as you said, make that a viable option where you'd have one shot and that would take care of everything? Is there a similarity between the various strains of flu? It's not so much a similarity of the various strains of flu, but it's more of the backbone of the flu underneath them that really is where we want to go with the vaccine. Think of the flu virus as a circle with spikes. For each different type of flu, the spikes are a little bit different colored. So if you make a vaccine against the blue spikes, it's not going to work against the pink or the yellow spikes. But if you made a vaccine against the ball underneath the spikes, then everyone would be protected and we wouldn't have to worry about the colored spikes. That's where medicine is going now, making a vaccine against what's under the spikes as opposed to just the spikes, which change every year to year, season to season, and country to country. So how old can your child be to get a vaccine? And what's the age limit? That's next. When New York Sports and Beyond continues on 98.7 ESPN. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Remember, later this morning, Anita Marks will join you with Fantasy Focus. And then it's New York Game Day when Chris Canty welcomes in to get you ready for the Pro Bowl and, of course, the Super Bowl. Let's continue our discussion on flu and children with Dr. Sharon Nackman. She's the chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stony Brook's Children's Hospital. Now, doctor, we've talked about children overall generally. Let's break it down to age groups. Is there an age where... Uh, your child is too young to get the vaccine? Is there an age where uh, you need a stronger dose of the vaccine because you're at at, a, at that age where you're going into young adulthood or even, um, you know, adulthood? So absolutely. And as like other illnesses, the younger you are when you get your illness, the more we worry about you. Children under age six months can't get the flu vaccine. And oftentimes when they come down with the illness, they are much, much sicker and often wind up in the hospital. So because we can't get those kids vaccinated, we worry much more about them. Once your kid hits six months in their first year of life, they're going to need two doses of the vaccine because we have to kind of boost their immunity to catch them up so that when they do see the virus, 
they're a little bit more protected than they were below six months of age. After that first year, when you get two doses of vaccine, you need only about one dose of the vaccine afterwards. Hopefully, if it's a good match, you'll be protected. If it's not a great match, then you may come down with a mild to a moderate illness. But those kids, even when they get their flu illness, don't wind up being hospitalized. As I've said, most of the kids who died and those kids who are in the hospital that are coming in with flu often have not been vaccinated at all. And, Doctor, the studies show that that could be as high as 80%. So what's the frustration level of you and your colleagues to say, you know, we're sitting here, we were watching these kids suffer with the flu vaccine because suffer with the flu because they weren't vaccinated, when all they had to do is be vaccinated and there's a possibility they wouldn't even be here right now? I think we have to do a better job at listening to parents who say they don't want their child vaccinated and understand what is it that they don't want to happen Is it they're worried about the vaccine? Are they worried about some side effect that's not necessarily real? Or is there something else going on? Do they understand what the vaccine does and how it works? So I think we have to do a better job of listening to parents. On the other hand, we also want parents to do perhaps a better job of listening to us as their medical providers and saying this virus is circulating now. The vaccine is not 100% effective, but even 58% is still darn pretty good at preventing those illnesses. And remembering that if your child doesn't get vaccinated, they are at highest risk for the worst outcomes. They may still get the flu infection if they've been vaccinated, but it will be less than if they had gotten the infection without the vaccine. So I think it's a two-way street. We have to listen better to the parents, and our parents have to listen better to the medical providers because both of us want to do the best job for our patients. Dr. Nachman, the good news in all this is that it's still not too late to get the vaccine for your child if you have not. How can you do it? Where can you go? What do you need to find out? So the answer is it's a cheap vaccine. It's absolutely available. Depending on the age of the child, they may be able to go to a local pharmacy and get it. But if they're a bit younger, their physician family medicine doctor, pediatrician, other health care provider absolutely has it in their office. There is no shortage like we've had in the past with flu vaccine. They can make an appointment, walk in, get their vaccine, and out the door. The insurance companies cover it, as does the Vaccine for Children program in the United States. And even if they didn't cover it and the parents had no insurance, the vaccine is still quite cheap and affordable. When I think of the cost of the vaccine and the cost of getting a coffee at a coffee shop, the vaccine still comes out cheaper. So thinking of it that way, that ounce of prevention is really, really worth it. There's no doubt about that. Dr. Sharon Nackman is my guest. She is the chief of the Division of Pediatric and Infectious Diseases at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. This is ESPN New York. Uh, This is New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. When we return... What are some of the other diseases kids are being infected by and how are they being treated? We'll discuss that next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond. Remember tonight following the Knicks and Nets here on 98.7 ESPN, 
I'll have the drive. We'll talk about the Pro Bowl. Very little because it really doesn't mean that much. And, of course, we'll talk about the Knicks and Nets. And we'll see what's the latest in baseball. That's the drive tonight following Knicks and Nets here on 98.7 ESPN. But right now, let's conclude our chat with Dr. Sharon Nackman, Chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Stony Brook's Children's Hospital. So, Doctor, we're going to hold off on the flu for a second. I want to come back and and get your thoughts on a couple of other things, a couple of other areas of your expertise that I've noticed uh, that are affecting kids. And and a couple of those, HIV, TB, and Lyme disease. Where are we? Let's take them one at a time. Where are we in trying to, you know, protect kids better and understand how they're getting and getting rid of Lyme disease? So the answer is we think of Lyme disease as a routine pediatric infection, particularly here on Long Island. Mm -hmm. We have good diagnostic tests to look for it. We have excellent medications to treat it. And unlike other populations, children do not suffer from long-term sequelae from Lyme disease. So we're happy to see those kids. We treat them on target with American Academy Pediatric justified, proven therapies, and those therapies work. So oftentimes we do hear about the concern that their Lyme disease isn't going away. And that means that we should go back and ask the parents, what symptoms are you talking about? Were they present before the Lyme disease event? Did that child take their antibiotics? And what else is going on with their kids? Because far too often, it's not Lyme disease. It's something else. So keeping an open mind and not chasing and chasing more antibiotics, making it better, is really important for both physicians and their families. So just to to take a step back for information, how does a child develop Lyme disease, and what are the symptoms so that you kind of know what exactly it is? So Lyme disease is an infection that's passed by the ticks, particularly in Long Island, Connecticut, up and down the East Coast, and now, unfortunately, those ticks have moved pretty much to the Midwest of the country and out out West as well. The tick must sit on the child for at least 48 hours in order to feed so that the spirochete in the tick stomach can pass into the child's bloodstream. A tick that has not fed for 24 hours will not pass Lyme disease, and that's very exciting because it means it can be prevented. So by looking at your child using bug spray that contains DEET so that the ticks don't latch onto their clothing or their skin, and looking for a tick every night after they've been playing outside and pulling it off means your child will not get this infection. Very important. Very, very important. Doctor, let's move on. Let's talk about TB, which is um, a disease that that we have thought was in remission, especially, you know, in this country. You didn't hear about it for a number of years, and it seems to be coming back again. So the answer is we've always thought about tuberculosis because particularly for those of us that live near big airports, people are constantly coming, travelers from abroad are visiting our families, and our families are getting on planes and drilling visiting foreign places. So TB is an infection passed by coughing from an adult to either another adult or to a child in their environment. We have reasonably good diagnostic testing now that we can look for it, and we have excellent drugs to treat it as well. So if someone thinks their child may have come into contact with an adult with TB, we recommend they see their medical provider, be evaluated, and if needed, they can be treated. 
TB is not considered a lethal disease. It can be prevented, and more importantly, it can be cured. Now, doctor, I don't want to show my age, but back in the day when I was a young man in school, we used to have to take those, uh, the, the TB stick and it, the concern, you would just like make sure that it, hopefully it didn't swell in that area. And it was almost like part of inoculations. Is that the way it is now? Or is it just really a symptom base? If you, if you feel that, you know, your child might be with the coughing, if you feel that, that's when you go and get it examined. At the doctor's so office. So the test you're describing, we no longer use, and I'll agree and show my age and say, yes, I've had that test as well. <laughs> that is not our current standard of practice. The TB mm-hmm. testing that we do now is sometimes via a single subcutaneous injection to look mm-hmm. at 48 hours, but more often than not, we're actually using a blood test now to look for TB in the United States. And a blood test, of course, has a painful boo-boo at the site, but the blood test is accurate and safe and well-described in children through adults across the ages. And, and it, it sounds like it's much less, much less painful than the one I went through. <laughs> well, I, I guess it depends if you don't like a shot or you don't like a blood draw. I don't know the answer to that one, but it's certainly an easier test, well-standardized, and doesn't require the family to come back at 48 or 72 hours to have it read. It's a blood test that can be drawn in any lab in the United States and the results sent to your medical provider. And that's a good thing. And, of course, finally, let's talk about HIV. Where are we there? How are we moving forward to uh, to quickly un- under diagnosing what it is and how to, uh, how to remedy it? Well, the field has made great strides in the past 25 to 30 years. We have excellent tests for diagnosing HIV, but more importantly, we have excellent once-a-day cocktail combination medications to treat HIV. HIV is easily diagnosed, relatively easily treated, and those adults and children with HIV that take their medications do incredibly well lifelong. So in the past, HIV was something we worried, we never talked, we didn't think about now we think about it, we treat it and say, go on with your regular life. One more thing, uh, Dr. Nachman, before we go back and, and make a quick round of, uh, and review uh, the flu for our children uh, and, and their parents so they can understand what's going on here, is uh, meningitis. There's been a number of uh, commercials. There's been a number of uh, conversations about meningitis and kids. How do you know? How can you tell? And it just from what I've seen, it could be very tricky to know whether your child has it or not. So the answer is meningitis is an infection that can be caused by multiple different viruses or bacteria. We have some wonderful new vaccines that do prevent some of those types of meningitis, but unfortunately, we can't prevent all of them. If a child is sick with a headache, the light bothers their eyes. They don't want to get out of bed. That's the kind of kid you do want to bring to your medical provider or to some other physician to take a look at because those are the kids we worry about that they are getting sick and not getting better. Everyone's allowed to have an occasional headache and maybe some fever, but parents are the best detectives. And if a parent feels that their child is acting differently than they have in the past with other illnesses, they're often right and they bring those kids into the emergency room to be seen. I rely on parents telling us what's going on with their kid. 
because they are the best detectives. Yeah, they're and they're around them. And you know what? It, it helps too if you to the parents if you can make some notes if you can chart. Right, doctor, that kind of makes, first of all, it makes, it narrows the diagnosis down for you, and it kind of gives better, a, a better way of treating and a more specific route to get, uh, you know, to get, to, to find out what's wrong and how to get it cured. What we do is tell the parents, don't panic, mm-hmm. talk to us, and tell us what's going on. It's hard for a parent to take notes, but we do listen to them, and by giving us the full story, how it happened, we are going to be able to make a diagnosis together with them. Parents are part of the medical team, and we rely on them to give us information. And, Doctor, that's a perfect transition into community protection because that's a, that's a situation that's very important as well as we come back full circle and where we began and talk about the flu season and how deadly it's been for kids so far this year. And, you know, once you take your child you know, make sure, I guess the best thing to do is encourage their friends to make sure that they get their vaccination as well. Because if the community is safe, it kind of keeps it, it keeps it from coming in. Yes. That's correct. I tell parents, there's lots of things we do to keep our community safe. When a kid is in our carpool, we put them in a car seat and make sure they're buckled. When we see someone smoking, we don't let them smoke near our child. All of those things are part of protecting our children both in our families and in our communities. Vaccination is just one more thing. While it will protect your child, it's going to also help the greater good and protect everyone in their community. Vaccination is not just about protecting children, but by protecting children from influenza, we also help protect the parents and the grandparents. Because even if the kid just has a small illness, we worry what the grandparent will get because they're the ones who are going to also wind up in the hospital. So being part of the community is not just being part of that family, but it's the extended family. It's the aunts and uncles and the grandparents. And then it's all the children in the school and in Wales they're coming into contact with. So do we want vaccines for everyone, not just the children? Yes, we do. And the kids who are often not so sick are the vectors that are passing the illness into the rest of the family. And when do we see families? We see them around holidays and weddings and things like that. And that's when they will be seeing multiple people who maybe haven't been vaccinated. And that's why we want everyone protected. All right, Dr. Neckman, let's go back to where we began in case somebody joined us late. And we we began our conversation with the uh, really this year, how flu has just really taken deadly aim at our kids. We announced that there was over as of right now, over 50 uh, children who have lost their lives to flu. Um, what are some of the tips that we can do? What are the first, what are the things that we can see that tells us that our kids have the flu after, if, and then we can still go get them vaccinated. But I want to know what are some of the tips right now? Some, what are the symptoms you can see? And uh, as we mentioned earlier, it's not that easy to take. So I think some of the symptoms that you think about, if your kid has a fever and a cough and a runny nose, it's more likely they have a respiratory illness. And today that respiratory illness is probably the flu. We can get them screened for it and treated if we catch it early. If they've been sick for a few days, oftentimes the medicines that we have to treat flu just don't work. So if your kid is coming down with a cold, watch them closely. If it's just a runny nose and they're better in a day or two, that's great. 
but if their illness gets worse, they start coughing or having problems breathing, they for sure should see their local physician. And it's still not too late to get that done. And it's still not too late to get that done or to get the vaccine to help prevent the infection. And once again, doctor, just to review, uh, there are two types of vaccines that your child can get, one uh, which is a nasal spray and one which is an injection, correct? That's correct. And they both work, and both are usually available, but if the injection is the one that's available, it's great. You should use it. No question about that, because, listen, we need to stop this as, as quickly as we can. Dr. Sharon Nackman, Chief of Division of Pediatric and Infectious Diseases at Stony Brook Children's Hospital, thanks for a couple of minutes today. And uh, if there's any questions or any information, where can parents find out some more things about uh, flu and, and vaccinations and what may be best for their child? I think the best place to look is the CDC website. It's free. It's written in English as well as Spanish and other languages. It's easy to read, easy to understand, and is a great resource to families. Dr. Nagman, thanks for, thanks for a couple of minutes this morning. And I had one last thing to answer. Please. That pitchers and catchers report in 17 days, and my family is just excited. Met a Yankee fan, doctor. Nope, it's the Met fan. I'm sorry. Well, that's a good thing. And you have a new manager, and you've got a very talented young man in Peter Alonzo, and you've got an outstanding, uh, possibly Hall of Fame pitcher in Jacob DeGrom, who's had back-to-back um, Cy Youngs. It's a pretty good time to be a Met fan right now. And, and our family is very much looking forward to it. Well, as from one Met fan to another, let's have good luck this season, and we'll talk again soon. All right, take care. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond on 987 ESPN. We thank you for listening. We'll join you on The Drive tonight. Plus, we'll join you on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday for New York Sports and Beyond. For my incredibly talented number three. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond on 987 ESPN. We thank you for listening. We'll join you on The Drive tonight following Knicks and Nets and during the week on ESPN New York tonight. And, of course, right back here next Sunday for New York Sports and Beyond. For my incredibly talented producer, Ray Santiago, I'm Larry Hardesty. Fantasy Focus and later New York Game Day follows us on 98.7 ESPN New York. And here is the alternate close. Three, two, one. That concludes this edition of New York Sports and Beyond. We'll see you during the week on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday on New York Sports and Beyond. For Ray Santiago, I'm Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues on 98.7 ESPN New York.